for about six weeks or something. You've not seen me, I don't think. We've been away doing this and that. And we're only here for two more Sundays and then we go again. You must be enjoying the time, not me not being here. Um, it's interesting how you can ask two people the same question and get completely different answers. Now, Rachel came up in a sense of slight panic. Well, it's got to be organised for the kids' club. There's a tension there. She's got all this work she's got to do. And a lot to organise. I asked her husband, Mark, before, how's it going? Well, not much to do, he said. Bit of admin and we're there, basically. Was that right? Well, I think you should help out your wife, Mark. She's obviously under a lot of stress and pressure. <laughs> anyway, it's good to be back. Um, we're concluding our series in um, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, 6 and 7 is not meant for you. It was originally meant for the Jews to explain to them how they get back to having that relationship with God. And yet we read it with, as Christian eyes. It's revolutionary. The idea that God has these rules, if we obey them and follow them, it's a great time for us as Christians, doing what God wants. And my subject matter today is your choice. Your choice. And during your life, if you're like mine, there's many times I've had to make a decision. You know, for example, um, what are we going to have dinner to? Oh, oh yes, I forgot about this. Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela said this, May your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. May your choices reflect your homes and not your fears. Now, in saying that, I've been thinking about some of the choices I have to make. What are we going to have for dinner tomorrow? Well, we've got to choose what... So that comes down to Louise's responsibility. She'll select the menus and then we'll go and buy the food accordingly. For me, I have to work out what wines we're going to have. Is it going to be a red? A blush or a white? If it's a white, is it going to be a Sauvignon? Perhaps a Chenin? A Vouvray? A Viognor? You know, a, a Terrain? Languedoc? It's endless, all the different types of wines I can choose. But if I get it wrong, or Louise screws up the menu and I don't like it, we can just do something different the following day, can't we? But some decisions have more consequences. This is 1974. This was my two-seater sports car. They're not like Porsches today. They don't go as fast, four gears. The woman in the hat there is Louise, age 18. That is not me with my shirt off in the hat. That's a guy called Mick. And I had to make a difficult decision. Keep the car, sell it, or get married. Now, I'm not going to tell you which one I decided. <laughs> but it was great fun. And it was a difficult choice that had to be made. It really was in the balance. It wasn't simple. Some decisions are not easy to make. It was such a lovely car. I keep thinking, I wonder what happened to it. It had rust in the seals and water came in. It had lots of problems with it. That's not the car I'm talking about. But it's, I had to make those decisions. And some actually in, are relatively easy. It was a no job. I had an access bill, I think, and this paid off my access car, which I bought the money with. And, and so therefore, it had to be done to start with a clean sheet when I married Louise. Now, Louise... When she was in her fifth or sixth year, 
she bought a sewing machine. She needed that for work. And her father gave her her loan to buy it. And when she went to work, she paid about £10 a week or something. And when we got to get married, he gave her the final bill for her to pay the balance. I married a woman in debt. I can't believe this. But, you know, we make decisions all through our lives. And some become big where they have an impact. Who am I going to marry? How do I break up with this girlfriend or boyfriend? What's the implication of that? What job? What career? And all the rest of it. And some have implications if we get it wrong. And if I look back in my life, I can see things I would have done differently. But they were the choices at the time. And so I've got three scriptures together in the one text. And I want to read them to you. It's from Matthew chapter 6. These are the words of Jesus. It says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. The lamp of your body, of the body, is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon could be money, materialism, wealth personified. And it's interesting when you look at that, uh, that first line, do not lay up your treasure. This is what the actual Greek literally means. It says this, do not treasure for yourself treasures on earth. I've got a will. When I die, everything goes to Louise. If she dies... I inherit the lot. Once both of us gone, our three kids will scurry over to our house to claim the inheritance. And I know full well the things I think are precious to me today, they would just chuck down the local charity shop without care or due concern of the importance to me. We used to go and visit when my father-in-law and mother-in-law were alive, a guy up north, and he was a rat collector, a rat catcher, go to the farms, but he would buy things from the farmers, the odd clock he'd not spot. And he had this big shed, Walt did, and he had all these antiques he'd bought. I used to go in there, say, he said, Barry, he said, this is worth a thousand pounds. He said, I said, no, it's not. It's worth nothing until you sell it. And we had this discussion year after year after year. What is the value of something? But the thing is, he had all these treasures on earth, and yet he couldn't take it with him. Not like the pharaohs. They'd stack up their pyramids with all the gold and silver and perfumes, so that when they went to the afterlife, they would be rich. Tutankhamun blew that away, because when we found his tomb, we took the lot. Well, the Egyptians did. It can't, you can't take it with you. No matter how much you think you can. Have you ever seen a hearse going down the road with a furniture van behind it? With all the goods and chattels of the person that's dying. You just don't see it. But in this story we've just read that Jesus says, there are three choices. Treasure, vision, master. And the whole of our life revolves around making decisions.
John Maxwell, a pastor, said this, Life is a matter of choices, and every choice you make makes you. Life is a matter of choices, and every choice you make makes you. The choices you make in life start to determine who you are. When you make bad choices, it affects you. It can make you bitter and twisted. I look around the room and perhaps see somebody who's made bad choices. It can affect the way you live your life because when things don't go as you are after or perhaps you seek money and wealth. It says in the Bible, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. One of the misquoted texts you find in the Bible. People say, the love of money is the root. It is a root. But when it gets out of sync with what you're doing, it goes on to say, some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The fact is that things that aren't in the right proportion and balance start to corrupt us. They say ultimate power corrupts people. Choice. John 15 says this, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. But for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. For you did not choose me, but I chose you and pointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will, be, will last. When God set his sights on me and sought me out, I don't know what criteria he was using. I'm not the most brainiest people in this room. Um, I don't have the best jobs. I don't have much in my bank account, if anything. I don't have anything that looks of worth. But God, the Bible says, took time to chase me and seek me out. And that's quite precious to me. That is quite precious that God would take time. When I sold my car, I was just turned 20 and Louise is 18. When we got married, I was still 20, and she became an old lady at 19. And that's a long time ago, isn't it, Louise? Hasn't changed a bit in my eye. Still the same fresh woman who married me and said, yes, I do. And for both of us, we've had to accept our lot. But I wouldn't change a thing. Yes, we've gone through challenges having children. Challenges of jobs, having jobs, losing jobs. Those challenges of life. But the Bible says, or this commentator said, this pastor, this is probably the biggest church in Europe. The power of choice is the most powerful weapon available to you. Make choices that will propel you into your destiny. Wow. That's a powerful word. The power of choice is the most powerful weapon available to you. Make choices that will propel you into your destiny. I was in a successful job at Bishop Stalford. I was the finance director of an engineering company, part of a big PLC group across the country called Everred. And one day, when the divisional MD came in and this finance director came in, they said to me, Barry, we want to move you to a bigger, a bigger company. You can name any company in the group and we want to move you. So I said no. And they said, look, you're going to get bored here. You've got so much ability. You're so good looking. You're so well, No, I didn't say it. 
just said, you'll get frustrated in this small cup. I said, no, I'm happy here. It's a couple of million pound turnover. We were on the stars of the group, turning it in the profit and all the rest of it. And I said, no. Six months later, they came to me and said, Barry, we're selling your company that you're working for. I went, oh, and you have to do the deal and all the due diligence. I went, oh, but good news is we want to promote you to a to the, the star, now the star, was British Casters in West Bromwich. West Bromwich. My eyes lit up with the thought to moving to a place where they can't speak proper. And I'm going to West Bromwich and I'm thinking, just a minute, I have two children in this school year, when they finish will be changing schools. Louise was heavy with third child, due in about three months time. And they said, you've got to have an interview with the MD, but it should be a no-brainer. And when the interview was coming up, I got told, you can't go to that. You've got to go to head office, and you've got to talk about how you're going to sell the company. And I had to meet with lots of people. And Louise and I talked and we prayed, should we be doing this? Because it meant leaving this church. It meant me going to a foreign place, as far as we were concerned, West Bromwich, with all spoken funny accents like. And, and so... We decided after a couple of months of prayer that we were getting nowhere, we would go and visit our friend Jeff. He was the guy that married us. He was a county's evangelist. He worked in Essex. He converted hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of people to God. An amazing evangelist. You just don't see evangelists of that caliber today. Incredible guy. And I met Louise through him because he became a minister of a local village church and he encouraged all the young people to come here. And that's how I met Louise. I, told, I hold him totally irresponsible for introducing me to my wife and we used to go over to babysit. And so this one Tuesday evening we went over and said to him, look, this is the dilemma we've got. Do we move? Explain the whole situation. Now he's from Sheffield, Yorkshire, and he said, your job, Barry, is to put food on the table. That's your sole job in life is to make sure Louise had food to fill the kids, to fill the kids' bellies. Therefore, you should take the job. So at 11 o'clock that night, Tuesday, we drove home with the clear decision, we are going to take this job. It wasn't our choice. Next morning, I got to work at 8 o'clock. I'd work 8 till 7 every day, perhaps later. 9.30, I had a phone call from a man called John Sharp. He said, Barry, I have your CV here. I said, have you? I've not sent my CV. Well, I've been told about you. I'd like you to come in for an interview. Stanson Airport, just three miles away. So I go over the following week to this interview, and they've spent a hundred million pounds on a brand new hangar called the Diamond Hangar at Stanson Airport, still there, doing up another hangar, built another big hangar at Manchester, and they had been looking to grow across the world. And so I had this two hour interview wandering around the new buildings. At the end of it, I turned to this manager director of the whole group and said, You don't have a job for me. He said, I know but we'll make one up to get you into the organization. And suddenly, when we said to God, yes, we're going to go the route that you've put on the table, within 12 hours, 14 hours, God had opened the door to completely change it. Now you'd think, well, that's fantastic, Barry. Life just opened up to you. It was a difficult time because suddenly I had to say to my existing company and group, I'm resigning. Three, two to two months away from when they were selling off the company and apparently they'd built me into the contract 
that I'd be available to speak to them. And they were not too best pleased. And they wrote to me, suddenly making me redundant and sacking me. And I thought, that's interesting, you're making me redundant. So I, I wrote a letter back with all the legal jargon I can muster and say, and I phoned up my boss, who now was the divisional, said, Mel, I'm leaving this Friday without having a job, to, without my job didn't start. He phoned me up and just laughed. I said, what's wrong? He said, your letter, Barry, has got the whole group in a... Didn't know what to do, but they don't know how to reply to it because you're in the right. They gave me a letter of apology and I stayed at my term and started. And I'm thinking to myself, I've not now got to the place where God wants me to be and I've made the right choice. I met opposition after opposition. I suffered with sexual harassment. Now, for most men, you would laugh. <laughs> How can you be sexually harassed? One of the examples was, that in details, with my secretary came into my office. I told Louise what she did, and Louise said, what would have happened if your boss had come in? I said, I had dread to think. The following day, when I prayed about this, the group promoted me. I had to move offices. I didn't see my secretary. And the only time I've ever gone on a Sunday afternoon to work, I'd moved my office physically. And when I came in Monday, she didn't work for me. I had oppression from Freemasonry because the company was riddled with Freemasons. Four years later, we got taken over by a group. And of course, you don't want a group financial controller. And they said to me one day, while we're doing this, they said, Barry, you know Dan Air. I said, the airline. He said right, we want to go and sort Dan Air the airline out. I said, okay, but you're going to have to have interviews. So I said, yes, every week. Have you had the interviews? Every week. After six weeks, they said, Barry, they won't touch you. I said, why? You're not a Freemason. And although here I am following God, I'm making the choices, it was darn, darn difficult. The attacks I had time and time again, trying to bring me down. I rang an old boss for my previous one when they tried to get rid of me. I said, Mel, do you need a consultant? And for two years I travelled this country look at sorting out their companies. It was not the things I wanted to do. I could have made a different choice and gone somewhere different. But, Sharon called out a scripture at the end. It comes from this, Proverbs, chapter 8. Because if you chase after silver and gold, and that becomes your driving force, Jesus says, that is where your heart is. It says this, Choose my instruction, says the writer, instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies. And nothing you, can, you desire compare with her. Being wisdom. Her is wisdom. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. Now remember the writer of this is Solomon. And Solomon asked God for wisdom. And he writes this. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance. Evil behaviour and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight, I have power, says wisdom. By me kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. But by me princes govern and nobles, all who rule on earth. I love those who love me.
whom those who seek me to find me. With me are riches and honour, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and make their treasures full. Wisdom. Wisdom of God that sees into situations that helps us to make the right decision. It says in Matthew, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And following God, I learnt when I look at this last slide, it's not what we all expect. Jim Elliot was martyred. Just, as you can see, 29 years old. He was called by God to go to Ecuador to preach the gospel to the tribes. And they were working very carefully to get to know a tribe on the outside. You couldn't just rush in. And they spent time over months and months. He felt by God he shouldn't get married. He did eventually, before he went to, and he went to Ecuador and got married. And then he set out with some other missionaries to get to the tribe. And they, the boat pulled up to the shore. And two of these tribal women came out. And so they assumed they were a peace offering. So the five of them got out of the boat and walked up the, up the beach as it was. And then ten warriors came out with spears. And he was the first one to be killed. Five were killed. He felt without question he was called by God to do this. Absolutely. Checked out with Minsnell a whole lot. And yet what happened was not what he expected. But what I believe, it's what God chose to happen. As a testimony for you and I to read it some 67 years later. God's ways are not our ways. He could have said, Lord, you're taking me into a difficult situation. There's a risk. And he could have said no to God. My mate Jeff, who I said, who gave me counsel, and Louise, about, um, over the years we sought counsel many times about um, moving. He shared me something about it. We were talking one day about his, he was at All Nations Bible College. And he said, oh, I've just been to see a friend of mine who was at the same time with me. And he was called to go to South America we decided not to go where God called him and he worked in the Midlands in the Derby region and had a very successful ministry doing work, evangelism and such like. And he said, I spoke to him, how's it been? How, how's it been doing this work for the last 30, 40 years it was? And the guy said this, I've seen tremendous blessing but not of the scale of blessing I would have seen if I'd obeyed God. I've seen tremendous blessing but not the blessing I would have had if I chose to do what God wanted me to do. And that sometimes goes against the, what we're taught. Well, of course, God always blesses, but God wants obedience first. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. That cost that man his life. Would you have said yes and gone? Would you have followed God? 
I've learned in my life, decisions I've taken or had to take, I've taken with God, are not what I would have wanted. Not what I would have wanted. But I've tried, as Louise, to listen to God and do as he says. And I cannot handle my heart say, I've enjoyed all the experiences, but I know I'm doing what God has asked me to do. And when you go through the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, you go through what I've just read in Proverbs about wisdom, about the treasures that opened to me. I could have gone hiring organisations, had a big salary, but God moved me each time to different places where I was required. Times when I could share the gospel with people, share my faith. But my job in life, having married Louise and looked after and brought up children, is to do the things that God asked me to do. I'm now in the twilight years of my life. I'm in the last quarter. I don't know how many years left. And now I'm saying to God, what now? I can't go into a company anymore and turn it around. I can't set up some fantastic departments with processes. I can't enjoy the latest technology, making things easier as paperwork follows through my organisations. I can't have staff I can boss around and tell them what to do. I can't have the... I can't have that anymore. My times of changing the world have narrowed and narrowed. But, but, I don't need that anymore. I have a pension from the state. But God has something for me and Louise to do. We'll make choices when we come to that point as we're thinking about them now. Am I worried about them? Too right I am. Am I frightened? No, it might have been 20, 30 years ago. Because it's all for the glory of God. As Nelson Mandela said, somebody shared with me that when they, when Mandela was stepping down, you South Africans can correct me here afterwards in private, people would then, they had in the parliament, people gave what they thought of him, the accolades. And there was one, I think a Pentecostal minister who was a, a member of parliament, and he said to him, there's only one thing you do, Mr. Mandela, Will you give your heart to Jesus? And he hasn't. And he didn't. But he's right in what he says. May your choices reflect your hopes. May your choices based upon the hope that God gives you. May your choices be the right choices that God wants to use you in whatever situation. If it means just sharing with one person the gospel and they come to Christ in all your 50, 60, 70, 80 years... Doing the thing before God is the priority of every born-again Christian. And I'll tell you from experience, sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you get accusation. But what I know is, my job is to serve. My job is to put my life on the line for him without fear. I wonder if we can just close our eyes and just think Lord you know each one of us here you know where we're at Lord it may be one of us here Father has to make a big decision it's coming up maybe job 
may be finances, it may be relationships within their family or wider. And Lord, that unease of which way to go, left or right, straight across the roundabout or veer off to the third exit on the right. Lord, guide that person. Let them hear your voice with clarity. It may be, Lord, that one of us here has struggled, is struggling, coping with the situations they're having, Father. Again, Lord, let them know your peace and your presence, Father that you are on their case. Lord, that worry and doubt that can take over us when we have financial issues, insecurity with our jobs, that, I was going to say, Lord, scare us to death, Lord, but you know what I mean. Lord, let us know your peace and presence again. That you are in control. And Father, you know our lives inside out and outside in. And Lord, each of us have things we pray about on our hearts, maybe our situation ourselves, maybe within our families or a friend or whatever. Father, teach us, inspire us, encourage us what to do in that situation for ourselves or that other person. Lord, convict us. Take our hearts and squeeze them to know the right choice to make in the situations we find ourselves in. And Lord, you know I don't mean what we're going to have for dinner tomorrow and what grape of wine, but those situations that sit in the pit of our stomach, a fear for somebody else or a situation we're scared of, Lord. Just draw near, Father, and speak to us. Lord, we are naturally indecisive. The devil in one ear whispering and you laying out what you want us to do. Lord, let your voice drown out the enemy. Let your voice be so clear, I can't make a mistake. Let your voice be so profound through another person or through the word, your Bible. But Lord, let us know clearly what to do. Because Lord, all I want to do is serve you. All I want to do is to bring a smile to your face. All I want to do is to be held in your arms. All I want to do is know that you love me and you'll never give up on me. All I want is to please you. And times, Father, it scares me the things you ask me to do. I can't imagine how Jim Elliot's wife felt when she was told her husband had died. Lord, you are my God. You are my King, my Sovereign. You're my friend, you're my Saviour. Speak that I might hear clearly the things I need to know. And Lord, as I come to this crossroads, I just pray and ask, Lord, you will, in your kindness, gentleness and compassion, speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen.